Everybody's got a blank page, a story they're writing today, a wall that they're climbing. You can carry the past on your shoulders. You can start over regrets. No matter what you've gone through, Jesus, He gave it all to save you. He carried the cross on His shoulders. So you can start over. If you have your Bibles, join me again in Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. I don't know if you realize this, but um, the Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus that, um, praise the Lord, with um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This morning, we sang a hymn. Then we sang a psalm, Psalm 139. That second song is pretty much just straight out of that psalm. And then we ended with a spiritual song. Um, I want to thank the praise team. You all did a wonderful job. Um, thank you very much. Um, Luke 15. One of the greatest challenges placed before anyone is raising children with the purpose and the intention of them becoming faithful Christians, faithful followers of Jesus themselves. It's a sobering and often a scary task that God has set before parents. We are molding hearts and shaping lives. The consequences won't just last for 80 years, but for eternity. Um, going through a series on the prodigal son, this is our last sermon in the series, and this is a special sermon, at least for me, um, because I've had parents line my office, um, young and old parents. I mean, we're talking parents younger than me, parents much older than me, lying in my office and just heartbroken about the way their kids, maybe their grandkids, are living their life. And um, so this message, obviously, will be most applicable to um, parents that have kids, especially kids still in the home. But I hope that you'll see different things like how to um, reconcile with people, um, how to forgive others, and the love that we should show other people in this message. I want to give you three things as far as introduction goes. Um, and if the pastor has points in his introduction, you know you're in for one today. <laughs> Number one, parents, you aren't perfect. Come on, parents. Isn't that good to know? You're not, par you're not perfect. And your kids don't expect you to be. Nobody else expects you to be. You're, you aren't parent. I am not an authority on parenting. I feel like what Charles said at a parenting seminar. He did parenting seminars, and he started doing these parenting seminars when he was single and didn't have any children. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I go to a, a parenting seminar for someone who didn't have any kids. It was called How to Raise Your Children. Then he said that after he got married, he changed the title. He titled it, some suggestions for parents. Then after he had his first child, he changed it again. He said, feeble hints to fellow strugglers. Come on, right? After he said he had three kids, he said he just completely quit doing it and found a normal job. <clears throat> you may only, listen, some of you, you set the bar high. Some of you, I mean, you only feed your kids vegetables. They've never had a Dorito in their lives. 
Some of them, they've already enrolled in college classes and are doing your taxes by six years old. I understand. Some of you are just unbelievable parents. You don't let them listen to rock and roll or rap. They listen to Bach and Beethoven and Mozart. You don't even own a TV. You don't let them play on any devices or look at an Xbox. But newsflash, you're not a perfect parent. Parents, you can try your absolute best at raising your children, but you aren't perfect. You are going to make mistakes. There's not a perfect parent in the room. Listen, I'm not saying this to cast um, aspersions on anyone. I'm saying this just to relieve us from a burden of trying to be perfect. You can't do it. It's impossible. Number two, come on, parents. Your kids aren't perfect either. That might not be, hopefully that's not the biggest amen I get today. (laughs) Everyone thinks, listen, I have been a pastor for a while, and I have gone and visited mamas on that big day, right? Here comes baby. And especially um, mamas of first babies. And everybody thinks their baby's beautiful. But some are born looking like a cross between E.T. and Papa Smurf. You know what I'm talking about? You know it's true. You know it's true. Everybody goes up and says, that's a beautiful little baby. But sometimes you just say, that's a baby. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right? Not only are our babies not perfect, but we need to also acknowledge that they are sinful little humans. Just like us, we are born with a sin nature. Our children are born that way as well. Romans 3 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. Not even your perfect little angel. Not only are our children not perfect, they're sinful. When my boys were born, I'd look at these little ones and I would ask myself, I wonder what God will do with this little boy. I wondered that. And I would think longingly ahead into their lives. I'm going to guess many parents would do the same thing. You're holding that little one, what are they going to do with their life, Lord? What are you going to use them for? But let me tell you what I never thought, and I'm going to think probably none of you ever thought about your little ones. You probably never thought, maybe one day I will take you to rehab. You don't think things like that, do you? You don't think to yourself, maybe this little child will be bulimic or suicidal or rebellious, a drug addict or violent or a myriad of many different things. You just don't think those thoughts on days like that. And yet occasionally, and maybe even more than occasionally, the ones that we love end up going in the wrong direction. Why? It's because your kids aren't perfect. They're sinful. Number three, every child and situation is different. I preach this message simply to pull out some principles from Scripture to help parents and family members in difficult situations. Some of this sermon is going to directly apply to you and your situation, but some of it won't. This morning, you're going to need wisdom and discernment. It will help lead you and your family in the way God would have it. But please know, write it down in your Bible. Godly parents don't always produce godly children. We do our best and I pray that you'll do more than just bring them to church, parents. I pray that you'll do, do more than just 
tell, give them to a Sunday school teacher and hope the Sunday school teacher touches their heart. I pray that you'll take advantage of sermons like this and remind yourself the raising of this child and the spiritual foundation that they're going to have is because of me as the parent, not anyone else. But understand, even though you may lay the best foundation and even though you may set up godly principles in your home, godly parents don't always produce godly children. As a pastor, probably more than most, I see the hurt and heartbreak that happens in a family when one family member chooses a lifestyle that messes everybody else in the family up. It hurts. The deepest hurt that we experience in life comes from our families, our spouse, our children, our relatives. Man, they can be ungrateful. They can be unkind. They can be unfaithful. This story that we're going to look at today is Jesus' most famous parable, maybe the greatest story ever written. It's a story that gives hope for hurting parents. It's not just a lesson about God's love, but it's a lesson about parenting. So let's look at Luke chapter 15. Look with me at verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he spent him into, I mean, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have feed, uh, filled his belly with the husk that swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the father said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray. Lord, we bow this morning grateful for your word. Lord, we read a, a story this morning that just reveals the love and the depth of that love for each and every individual in this room. Lord, it's a promise from our from your word, Lord, that if we run from you, we can run back. Lord, if we've gone away from home, Lord, you are inviting us back home today. Lord, your love leaves room for reconciliation, and we thank you, Lord, that no matter how much we've messed up, you're there for us. I pray, Lord, for those in that situation, I pray that they'll repent and get right with you today. Lord, I also pray for families and parents. Help us to learn something about how to love best our own kids. In your name I pray, amen. Number one, the pain of parenting. Listen, being a parent's awesome. It's one of my greatest joys, being a parent. Yet one of the most painful parts of my life is also being a parent. No matter how good your kids are, being a parent comes with pain. I mean, not even just when they do something wrong, right? It's just pain when they struggle with something. And your, your heart feels it. 
um, uh, when they're going through something that you can't go in and fix, or you know it's best not to just help them in it. They need to learn it on their own. Man, it's, it's hard. Hey, kids in the room, teenagers in the room, you should use this message, take some notes, and in the notes, you should be writing down things you're thankful for your parents. Come on. You need to. And you know why? Because your parents deserve your gratitude. Come on, parents. Where are you all at? Right? They deserve your gratitude. The clothes that you have on your back, that's from mom and dad. And everybody in the room is grateful for them. <laughs> the bed that you sleep in. The, the house that you have. Mom and dad sacrificed all of that. Um, the sports that you... Do you know how expensive it is to get your kids into sports? Your parents are paying for those things. They give you rides. They do all kinds. They might even be helping you with a car. You need to say thank you to mom and dad. They watched you grow. And as they watched you grow, I'm telling you, there was pain that they never told you about. Heartbreak that they never detailed to you. Why? Because they're mom and dad. That just comes along with the passage. Many of those pains are normal. But sometime, like in this story, the pain is exceptional. The pain this father must have felt when he heard the words of his youngest son must have been brutal. Can you imagine the pain as the son asked for his inheritance before the father's funeral? Dad, I'm tired of your house. Dad, I'm tired of your rules. Dad, I'm tired of you. This dad has put a roof over this boy's head. He's given him a lifetime of food to eat, clothes to wear, and many of the luxuries of life. I mean, today, teens will have AirPods, PS5s, bikes. Some of you have cars paid for by mom and dad. This dad has taken him to all of his events in his life. Um, uh, he, he took them to, I don't know what they played, maybe Quidditch. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> whatever they played back in the day. Whatever they played. Um, uh, they, whatever they played. This dad took them to it. Listen, kids, basketball, baseball, football, music lessons, art lessons. Kids, you should be grateful to your parents for all of it. Instead of thank you, dad, though, this dad gets from this boy, he pretty much is Spits in his dad's face. He doesn't want to be anywhere near him. Parents, the greatest pain you'll ever experience is from your kids. I think some of the things from this story um, will be a great help to parents. And I hope for all Christians in the room, it can even be an inside window into heaven as God's watching us, his children, live our lives. Also note, we don't know what anyone else is going through with their families and their kids. So please be gracious. Can I say that again? We don't know what anybody else is going through with their kids. We don't know the problems that they're having. And when we come into this place, we have an opportunity to give them the grace that they may need today. Amen, preacher. What do you do when your child runs from you and from God? This father did three difficult things. Listen to me, three difficult things. And I think that maybe some of us need to learn these three difficult lessons. Number one, sometimes you let them go. I'm not speaking in, gen I'm, I'm not speaking in precise things this morning. 
speaking in generalities. Because sometimes these things will be true and sometimes these things will not be true. You need wisdom, parents. You need to gauge their maturity, gauge their age, other factors. But the older they get, sometimes the best thing you can do is simply let them go. The younger son set off and the father didn't chase him. Did you notice? He released him. From birth, we're preparing our kids to leave, right? That's the intention. We want them to go. But I think one of the most difficult tasks of parenting is knowing when to let them go. It's hard. This may have seemed foolish to his father from looking at his son. He, he probably even predicted some of the things that was going to happen to him, but he still let him go. No doubt the father maybe even tried to reason with him, but to no avail. The young son was determined to leave. The fact is, sometimes the tighter we hold on, the more they resist. One day, if we hold on too tightly, they're going to explode. Sometimes we need to learn to let them go. That's hard. Also notice that the father gave him exactly what he asked for. He gave him his share of his inheritance. Why did the dad do that? Well, it may have been to ensure his son was taken care of, but it also may have been because of the customs of the day. Whatever the reason, not only does the dad let him go, he sets him up financially. Number two, sometimes you let them go, but sometimes you let them make their own mistakes. The Bible tells us that he wastes his life with riotous living. Now understand, news in that day probably would have been slow, but there is no doubt in my mind that the dad knew people where this guy was going. The story sets the dad up like he is an estate owner, someone with wealth. And when you get to that status, people know you. And so he's probably in the know in a lot of situations. And he probably hears news from the far country about his own son. This son took everything his dad had given him and blew it. He wasted it all. He probably tried everything, especially those things that were forbidden at his house. All the things that dad said you can't do while you live at home, he's now doing. He's out there having a good time, living it up. He tosses his parents' values out the window and rejects their background, and he just has fun. But he wastes it all. Friend, teenager, young adult, parents, rebellion is always a wasted life. Hey, Christian, rebelling against God wastes your life. Teenager, rebelling against your parents is the beginning of just living in waste. It is. Do you think that this father knew what his son was going through? I'm convinced that he did. Do you think he knew his son was headed for trouble? I know he did. Do you think he was tempted to send letters of advice or to even go and talk to him face to face? I'm sure he was. But the father realized that there are some things we only learn through pain. This kid was stubborn. This kid only could learn by experience. The only way he was going to learn was through the school of hard knocks. He would never learn at home or in the classroom what he was about to learn in real life. It's risky, 
But at least for this kid, it was the only way. Can I just have you write down something? It's not on the screen. But sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Sometimes we, we have to go through a terrible pain to finally realize that I'm not doing what's right. Your kids need this too. Sometimes it's going to take going through hardship to finally get back right. Number three, sometimes you let them reap the consequences of their own choices. Come on, parents. This is good advice, and it is tough advice. I promise you, teenagers, your parents want to swoop in. Man, they want to slap you across the face. They want to tell you you're going the wrong way. But they also realize there comes a point that in order for you to learn, you have to reap the consequences of your own choices. There's a price tag for rebellion. He says after he spent everything, he, he began to be in want. There's always a price, and it's usually a high price. Jesus tells us this. Paul tells us this. Paul reminded us that whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. Listen to me, teenagers. No matter what direction you're living in your life, there's always going to be a reaping if you live the right way, the, what you will reap will be blessings. If you live the wrong way, what you will reap will be terrible consequences. It's hard times. The party's over now. He's broke. He's friendless. He's at the bottom. He has empty pockets, an empty stomach, an empty life. Teenagers, young people, please listen. He goes off and he has friends and he's the life of the party while he has cash. But when the cash runs out, so do the friends. You don't need friends like that. If all they are there for is what you can bring to the table, you need to find new people. And can I tell you a great place to find new people? It's right here at church. We are watching this son reap the consequences of his own life. How do you think this dad felt when he heard about all that the son was going through? He probably think, thought things like, I've raised him better than this. I've given that boy everything. I've done right by him, and now he's blowing it all. How do you think he felt? Maybe he felt sorry. My kid's out there suffering. I can't let him just sit there in a pig pen eating pig slop. He might even die. He's hurting. Friend, I promise you, teenager, I promise you, your kids feel sorry for you when you go through things like this. He probably even felt embarrassed. Here's a wealthy farmer, and his kid is living like a bum. On top of that, he, he's working in a pig factory. For a kosher Jew, this would have been as low as you could go. You weren't allowed to eat pork, much less work with the pigs. Here's this kid, and he's tending to pigs. How do you think this fits into Jewish culture? This dad surely was embarrassed. Every little bit of gossip was like a knife to his heart. Friends, some of you, your kids have gone off, and you, they've done things you don't approve of. And you hear stories and you may even hear people talking and it's like a knife right to your heart. He probably felt, listen to me, parents, you just know this dad felt self-condemnation. You know he did. He, the one that was getting beat up more than the son was his dad. He probably asked himself questions. Man, where did I go wrong? Parents, you ever asked like, 
yourself that? The fact is, all of us make mistakes in parenting, but you're not, only, you're not the only influence in your child's life, mom and dad. I think there's a lot of false guilt that parents carry, a lot of unjustified condemnation. The fact is, it's not fair to take all of the blame for yourself. There are forces beyond your control. Your child has choices that he or she makes. He has friends that he or she will choose. He has teachers that you can't control. He has books and movies that he sees. He has all kinds of influences and choices. And now the son is reaping the consequences of his own decisions. He spent everything and then began to be in need. And there's a great temptation here, parents. A strong one. The temptation is that we got to help. We've got to intervene. Let's put a care package together and send it to them. Let's bail them out again. Let's wire them money. Let's fly out to see them. Sometimes those things are appropriate. But sometimes they aren't. Do you hear me? Sometimes they are appropriate. But sometimes they aren't. The father knew something very important that all of us need to learn. Nature has a way of disciplining our children in ways that we can't. Your kids need discipline. Parents, your children need discipline. But the discipline has a point. The point of parental discipline is to get your children to a point where they don't need parental discipline anymore because they have self-discipline. And sometimes the only way they're going to learn to be completely self-disciplined is not by you, it's by the harshness of the world. Don't short-circuit the natural consequences. Let them reap what they have been sowing by their own decision-making. It's those kinds of things that we remember the longest. Just consider, the father probably heard his son was feeding the pigs, and yet the father never intervened when his son hit rock bottom. Faithful Christian, faithful Christian parents, those of you with the prodigal, let me just tell you right now, it's not all your fault. Sure, we could have done things better. All of us could have. Sure, we have a major influence in our children's lives, but just like you can't take credit when they turn out great, we also can't take the blame when they go astray. Sure, there are some things we could do better, and we should do our best to do them better every day, but God is ultimately the one who helps them turn out great, and God is ultimately the one that can bring them back home after they've been in trouble. Don't beat yourself up until there's no more faith in you. Don't be guilty of self-condemnation. Number two. Second major point is the process of rebellion to reunion. In verse number 17, it says he gets his mind right. He comes to his senses. Some of you are praying for this sentence in your children's life. You're praying, God, touch his head. Lord, touch your mind. Let him think right again. When is my kid going to wake up? When is he going to come to his senses? When is she going to stop ru ruining her life? 
You're praying for that. Notice a change in attitude in this boy. He goes through a process of reevaluation. And then he goes from reevaluation to regret. And then he goes from regret to repentance. In the reevaluation stage, he begins to wise up. He comes to himself. He faces the facts and recognizes, man, this is stupid. Children, most of the time running from your kids is not the smartest thing you can do. Hey, Christian, running away from God is the stupidest thing you will ever do. Aren't you glad you came to church? It is. If you want to be stupid, run away from God. If that's all you remember, I'll be happy. He says, this is stupid. What am I doing here? Why am I sitting here just feeding pigs? And why am I just eating the leftovers? This is insane. This lifestyle is not worth it. He begins to question his own life, everything about it. He begins to smarten up. The fact is, most never change until we get desperate. Most of us will never change until we get desperate. They did a study of people that had a lot of physical illnesses due to their weight. And they went to these gastric bypass doctors and they had these patients fill out surveys. And one of the questions was, would you rather change your lifestyle if it could heal you or have surgery? Like 95% so they'd rather have surgery. Just think about that. We have the power within ourselves to change. And yet, until it gets to a drastic point, and sometimes even then we don't change. Christian, I'm convinced God is trying to get your attention. He is throwing bad thing after bad thing right in front of you. And you're not paying attention. Christian, listen to me. God is trying to get your attention this morning. Right now. You are living your life in a direction that's dangerous. And at the end of that road is pain and regret. If you don't change it now, you're heading towards destruction. And God is here. And maybe he's saying that same message I just said. Don't be stupid. Get right. This boy, Esther, he reevaluates. He gets homesick. He begins to go through more emotions. He looks at the pig pen and says, man, this place stinks. It's the pits. My dad's servants get better treatment than this. He's so desperate, he's willing to go home and not even be a son to the father. He's willing just to be an employee. And so he leads to the last step. He repents. He says, I'm going to go home. And he heads home, and he begins to write that comeback story we talked about in week one. But notice the difference. In verse number 12, what does he say? He says, Father, give me. When he comes home, he says, Father, make me a servant. He's broken. He's saying, Dad, I made a mess of my life. Would you please forgive me and help me at least come back a little? It's a complete change of heart. Parent, what do you do? 
in the waiting stage before they come home. I want to give you four things. The first thing under this point, number one, you pray. The first thing is the best thing. You need to be a praying parent. And can I give you some advice? Pray for them long before they leave. Read them Bible stories when they're young. Um, um, uh, go to Bible events when they're young. Make sure they're in church. Pray with them together. Teach them how to pray. Show them there's power in prayer. And pray. But if they leave, pray. Prayer is your first line of, a, of attack and defense for your family. Listen to what Colossians 1 says. This would be a great prayer. It says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. May that be said of parents in this room. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being faithful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Your first line of attack is prayer. Not some safe little Sunday school polite prayer, but on your face, on your face with everything in you, crying out, God, I know you can. God, I know you can. Parents, you've got to believe. God, I know you can. I don't see how it's possible, but God, I still believe. Go after him. Go after her, God. My pastor used to pray, God, sick the hound of heaven on them. Grab them by the britches and pull them home. You just get, how, however it is, you get aggressive in your praying. And what do you pray for? Well, every time you pray, pray that they find the right group of friends. Every time you pray, make sure that you pray that, um, uh, that they get caught when they're guilty of something. Every time you pray, pray bold and really mean business. Pray, God, do whatever it takes. God, do whatever it takes. And that, my friend, will be one of the scariest prayers you ever pray. God, if they have to hit bottom, do whatever it takes. So you pray. Number two, you live with unending patience. Whew. Come on, parents. <laughs> Come on, y'all. One person that should be patient is mom and dad. The prodigal's father, when he came home, just look at verse number 20. How beautiful is that? It indicates, perhaps, that the father was on the edge of town, or edge of his property, every single day looking down that road and thinking to himself, maybe today will be the day. Maybe my son will come home today. And then the next day, doing the exact same thing. Every day, he's looking. The father never, ever, 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 ever gave up. Parents, neither should you. The father didn't write him off. Well, he left. That's no son of mine anymore. The parents never said, we're not, we're not going to give him anything. We're taking him out of our will. The parents also loved him enough to let him hit bottom, and that is really hard to do. God's love keeps the door open, even when it appears closed. God's love never allows you to completely close the door on anyone. Christian, please hear me. God's love will never allow you to close the door on anyone anyone some of you are going crazy right now what am I going to do with my kid my kids are too far gone no as long as they have breath 
in their lungs know that there is still time for God to get a hold of their hearts and make them right. Don't ever give up on your children. Also, notice this patience. It's also the foundation of this patience is kindness. Notice the hurt. Notice the broken heart of the father. But please notice, after you notice the hurt of the broken father, he never uses the hurt to break the heart of his own son. Hear me. Can I tell you, the people I get maddest at are the people in my house. I'm just being honest with you. The people I want to cause the most physical harm to sometimes (laughs) are the people in my house. But this dad never gives blowback after blow. Notice the hurt. Our human desire is to fight fist with fist. To give as much as we take. But the dad knows, if I want to have a relationship with this boy, someday down the road, I must be patient and kind today. Parent, man, you're the adult in this situation. Be mature. Don't stoop to their level. Be kind in everything you say. This dad is so patient that he's willing to suffer loss. He gives this boy a third of everything he's worked his entire life for. To keep the doors open for his son. This dad kept the door of reconciliation open with his son at great sacrifice. God's love always leaves the door open for reconciliation. Number three, unconditional love. I want you to consider this. This type of love that you find in Luke 15 is an attractive love. It's attractive to people. This love is what gets the boy's mind right. Do you, do you see this? Parents. Parents. The love of the parent is what gets this boy's mind right. This boy was reminded about how loving his dad was after years of being away. It was this attractive love that pulled this boy home. This love is so strong, it reached this boy in the far country. In the pig pen. Parents, your love is strong. And it can be the pull your children need, even decades after they leave home, to bring them back. Unconditional love never gives up. His father, while he was yet a great way off, had compassion. Not when he came back and cleaned himself up. Not when he had put his life back together. He was filled with compassion when he was still a great way away. The father had never given up hope. No matter how far they fall, no matter how long you wait, the door was left open for reconciliation. You loved him faithfully. It says his father went out and it says he threw his arms around him. He ran to him and kissed him and hugged him. It's a moving picture of acceptance, those open arms. Notice he didn't set any conditions. The father never gave him a list of demands or rules. He didn't say, go home and shave and get a haircut and take a shower. Then I'll hug you and kiss you. No. He loved him right away. Can you imagine how this guy probably smelled? He's been living in a pig pen. 
He's got pig slop on him. And yet the dad still hugs him and still kisses him. Here's a picture of unconditional love. Hear me, parents. To heal hurt, you need to learn love. Parents, the unconditional love of this dad healed the deepest pain that this son was carrying. It was the love of a dad that healed the broken heart of the son. It might mean that you have to refrain from giving them a piece of your mind to giving them a piece of your heart. Listen, listen, hear me. Listen, this is powerful to me because of my story. I told you my story in the first message, but I left out a detail because of this message. When I ran from my family, my faith, and all of those things when I was 18 years old, the scariest thing was talking to my dad. My dad's a big man, really the kindest man you'd ever meet. Um, but he was still my dad. And let me tell you, that, the spankings I still feel to this day. <laughs> um, but, I, but I also respected him, looked up to him, and he was a pastor. And I'm like, man, I just know when I come home, dad's going to kill me. But when I got home, and I told him, can I tell you, when I read this story, every time it says a certain father or this father, do you know what I think about? I think about my dad and how he welcomed me back home. He never, and listen, this has been 20 years ago. Not once has he thrown it back in my face. Not once. Did he point a finger at me and say, I can't believe you, would, you embarrassed me at church? Not once. Hey, parents, that love of not just my heavenly father, but that love from my father allowed me to get right and get back straight. Listen, I'm a pastor today, not just because of God's calling, but because of the love I apologize. Listen, if you want your kids to come home, you need unconditional love. Number four, forgive them completely. God's love graciously offers up what we don't deserve, and that's forgiveness. Hey, hey, Christian, you should never get past that God looked at all your dirty, rotten sins and forgave you. What I like about this father, he forgave him immediately. He never reminded him of what he had done. He never said, remember that time you rebelled. Remember how selfish you were. Do you remember that time you blew all of my wealth? No, he never did that. The prodigal son didn't need a sermon, parents. The father gave him a second chance. He forgave him completely. I love that the son didn't meet the folded arms of an angry father. 
but rather the extended arms of grace and forgiveness. Hey, some of you are waiting right now for kids to come home. And here's a principle. How long do you wait? You determine the length of wait by the value of the object. Listen, it's already noon. I know some of you are hungry. You're thinking about where you're going to go for lunch. And I'm going to guess you have different barometers on how long you're willing to wait for something. Just consider this. How about this one? If you went to this place, go ahead. If you went to this place for lunch, <laughs> McDonald's, how long are you willing to wait for a cheeseburger? How many of you would say, you know, I'd wait 15 minutes for a McDonald's cheeseburger? Oh, we got a couple kids. <laughs> 15 minutes. Most of you are wise and said, no, that is too long to wait for a McDonald's cheeseburger. How about this one? This is a little bit better. Come on, Brother James. Come on, Brother James. How about, how about a Whataburger cheeseburger? How many of you are willing to wait 15 minutes for a Whataburger cheeseburger? Come on, Texans. I didn't put in and out up there. It's Whataburger. All right. All right. I also know this one is really near and dear to some of our hearts. It's breakfast. You're hungry. How about some, how about some of these? Oh, yeah, come on. Do you eat brisket for breakfast too? Anybody else? Come on. Some eggs and brisket? That's just Texas. Come on. How many of you put ketchup on it? Alvin does. Okay. <laughs> Listen, if you want a good brisket, get some of Alvin's. But don't put ketchup on it. He'll be mad at you. <laughs> Listen, we, we are willing to wait a certain amount of time. Listen, a good brisket, you're going to wait 8, 10, Alvin, sometimes 14 hours get a good brisket, right? It's because you know the value of the different meals. The value of the food is seeing how long you're willing to wait for it. Parents, the value of the person determines the long-suffering of your love. That's your child. Don't give up. Continue to wait, continue to pray, continue to love, continue to forgive. To the prodigals in the room, it's time to come home. There are those of you today that are away from God, and I want you to hear what he says to you. Isaiah 30 says, but the Lord still waits for you. Isaiah 30 says, the Lord still waits for you. Isaiah 30 says, the Lord still waits for you. Right now at this moment, he's waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for you to come home. And he can show you that love, that compassion. The verse goes on. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, The Lord is waiting for you because the Lord is faithful. Guess what? His arms are wide open. He's waiting for you to come home. Will you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? <laughs>